Right, amen. Hey, as you grab your seat, I want you to grab a Bible if you've got it with you, either a hard, hard copy of your Bible or on your phone, and turn to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah is going to kind of be right toward the middle of your Bible. This is Old Testament prophecy. Um, If you don't catch this, almost every sermon I begin with the words, open your Bible to hear, and I know some of you do, some of you don't. Can I urge you, whether you're listening online tonight or you're here with us in the room, even if you're the type of person who doesn't usually open up to the place in the Bible where I tell you to open up in the Bible to, would you do that tonight? Like even if you don't have a Bible or you don't have the Bible app for some unknown reason, um, just Google Isaiah 58. And even, here's the great thing, even if you spell Isaiah wrong, it'll pick it up. It'll get there, all right? So, so, so Google Isaiah 58. I want you to have the text in front of you tonight, and, and really, here's why. Um, occasionally, um, I will get up here, and I will preach sermons that I know are going to bother some of you. And, and some of you are going to leave tonight a little bit upset and angry. And, and if you know anything about me, you know that I am totally 100% okay with that, all right? Like, totally good with that. Not, not bothered in the slightest. Actually, I believe that church should not always be an enjoyable experience for us. Sometimes we should leave just having to wrestle with God. But, but here's what I want to be really clear about tonight. If you leave a little bit upset or angry or, or bothered by something that went on, I, I want you to know that what is bothering you is the text of God in front of you, not the preacher in front of you. All right? But like, I want you to understand tonight that I'm going to say some things. And the primary issue isn't I've been fasting, so I woke up, woke up a little cranky this morning. Like, that's not it. Well, like, I want you to know that what God has to say to us through this prophet Isaiah uh, should shake us up a little, night if, a little tonight if we are listening closely. And so again, Isaiah 58, I want you to have that open in front of you. Uh, we're going to be working through not even the entire chapter, but most of it. And if you have never read this chapter, if you've never wrestled through this chapter, I think it's going to be a powerful one for you tonight. Maybe even something for some of you that the remainder of this fast and like the whole next week, you would just read that chapter every day. Uh, let me give you some background before we jump in. Isaiah is a prophet. He is a prophet of God. Uh, and the prophets of God, we're going to talk about in a second what their role was. But the prophet was to declare a message to a people group. I want to tell you about the people group that he is going to declare this message to. The people group he's going to declare this message to is a people group called the Kingdom of Judah. The Kingdom of Judah. Uh, so for those of you who don't really kind of understand the Bible and how this all works, in the Old Testament, there's a people, a nation, the people of God. The nation of God is called Israel. And then after Israel's second king, Solomon, the Kingdom of God actually divides into two different kingdoms a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom takes on the name Israel, and that is the larger and northern kingdom. And then there is the southern kingdom, and that is called the kingdom of Judah. Right now what we're talking about is this kingdom of Judah, this southern kingdom, this part of the people of God that have survived actually longer than the people of Israel up in the north. So you've got the kingdom of God, you've got the kingdom of Judah, you've got these people living, and they're living in the year 740 BC. That's right around where Isaiah begins his prophesying. And I want to tell you about this kingdom. I want to tell you about this people group because I think when I start to describe them, you'll recognize them quickly. Think three things I want you to know about the people of God and the kingdom of Judah in 740 BC. The first is that they are rich. They're wealthy. They've made their money. Solomon was the richest person to have ever lived and Solomon's wealth just exudes throughout the kingdom. There is money. They are rich. They have got it going on. The second is this, that they are secure. When I say secure, I mean that they are not afraid of any other nation taking over them. You got to know for the people of God, the people of Israel living in that time, there's always threats to every side of them. But to the south of them, you've got Egypt. And Egypt was always this perennial power. And yet right around this time in the 8th century BC, Egypt was weak. 
They had some internal issues. They weren't taking over any country. So Israel or, or the kingdom of Judah felt safe to the south. To the east of them, there was the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire were like the big bad people on the block. But here's the thing about them. Assyria was distracted. Their focus was elsewhere. And the Babylonian Empire, which would eventually destroy the kingdom of Judah, wasn't even a real major force yet in the world. So they're secure. They don't think anyone's going to invade them. They're rich. They're secure. No one can touch them. And then here's the final thing you need to know. They're wandering from God. They're wandering from God. Now, I want to be clear. It's not that the whole nation or the whole kingdom were a bunch of atheists. There was God everywhere. There was God talk everywhere. There's what I like to call a God-flavored culture, where God is brought up all the time, but the people in truth are actually wandering from God and not passionately following after God. And when I describe the kingdom of Judah in the 8th century BC, I hope what you very quickly pick up on is the utter similarities to our nation in the 21st century. Like, I hope you pick this up quick when you think about the people of Judah. I hope you realize that we as a nation are rich. And maybe someone, someone out there, maybe you're listening online or someone in the room goes, oh, actually, we're not that rich. I read this study about our debt and all this kind of stuff. Like, the only people who think we aren't rich are the people who have never traveled anywhere in the world or studied history ever, okay? Go anywhere else in the world. Study all of history. Like, would you rather live in your house today or the richest house 5,000 years ago? And the answer is your house today because it has running water and a toilet and internet, right? Like, like you are rich beyond belief. All of us are. The poorest among us here are among the richest of the world. Our nation in the 21st century is rich. We are secure. And listen, secure doesn't mean invincible. It doesn't mean nothing ever happens to us. It just means the United States of America is not worried about some foreign army marching into our capital and taking over and flying their flag up. Like, really, that has not been an issue in all of our lifetimes. Like, since the Cold War ended, this has not been an issue. We are the global military superpower. And if you don't realize that, you don't realize the environment and the bubble you're living in. And then finally, what's our nation doing? We're wandering from God. We're wandering. It's like we have this God-flavored culture, right? Like, you see this. Every politician says, God bless America. God is brought up all the time. Like, the number of times God is brought up, the number of times thoughts and prayers go out versus the amount of prayers that are actually offered to God is a fascinating ratio, right? Like, our nation talks a lot about God, but there's no one in this room who would say, you know what? The United States of America is passionate about holiness, right? The United States of America is just submitting themselves to God as the authority. Like, there's no one who would think that. And so here's what I want to invite us to tonight. The kingdom of Judah in the 8th century BC and the United States of America in the 21st century have obvious differences. But one of the things you need to do when you read the Bible is to go, you know what, whatever differences are on the surface, at the core, what we might find is that there are some of the same things going on in our culture that were salient to that culture at the time. And so tonight, as you read this prophecy, as you read these words that God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Judah, to this kingdom who was rich and secure and wandering from God, uh, I want us to hear tonight these prophetic words spoken to us. And, and again, uh, I'm just going to plead with you as often as I can up here that you never come into this room, hear a sermon, and think, yeah, I know exactly who needs to hear that. I'm going to send her that text message and give her a link to the sermon, Right? That you would never be the person who comes into this room and thinks, yeah, those people out there need to hear this. But rather, you would always be listening for the word of God to say, you know what? God brought me here tonight for a reason. Like, do you know that God brought you here for a reason tonight? 
No one's here on accident. No one's here on by mistake. God has something for you. He wants to speak a word to you. Uh, and I believe through this prophecy offered thousands of years ago, God has something for you tonight. And so I want you to see this Isaiah 58 again. I hope you have it open in front of you. It'll be on the screen as well. It says this, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. So what's being told here? What's the job for Isaiah? What's his job as a prophet? It's to shout it aloud. Raise your voice. Declare something to the people. Declare their rebellion. And then anytime you see the descendants of Jacob, all this is referring to is that the entire nation of Israel comes out of an individual named Jacob. Not our Jacob, the guy up on stage, but a different Jacob. Uh, a Jacob who wrestles with God, and because he wrestles with God, his name, he gets renamed. And he gets renamed to a very different name and a very familiar name to you, and that name is Israel. So anytime you see the descendants of Jacob, this just means the descendants of Israel, the people of God. So what's the mission for Isaiah? Like, what's his job? It's that God has something to say, and he wants to say it to his people. But here's what God knows. If God actually spoke from heaven in his booming voice with all authority, all of us would fall on the ground, want to die, and not hear it. There's sometimes there's like this desire, like, why doesn't God just speak to me? But every time in the Bible God speaks to someone, you know what they do? They fall on their face, and they're fairly certain they're going to die in that moment, okay? And so what does God do? God raises up these prophets, these trusted individuals who he's going to speak to, and they're going to speak to the people, and they're going to write it down. And this is a significant and important part of what it means to be a biblical prophet that I need us to get our mind around if you're going to get Isaiah 58 straight. Because here's the problem. We tend to think of prophets as the people who predicted the future. Like when you hear prophet and someone says, I'm a prophet, you immediately go like, okay, who's going to win the Super Bowl next year because I'd like to put some money down, right? Like that's what you think. Prophet means predicting the future. And here's what you need to know. The biblical prophets sometimes predicted the future. Maybe 10%, 15% of biblical prophecy is predicting the future. And that is absolutely something the prophets do. They predict all kinds of things. And I'll give you a little hint. They all come true. They all come true over centuries and centuries and centuries. They all come true. They predict the future. But here's the truth. That is not the primary job of the biblical prophet. The biblical prophet's primary job is not to predict the future. Biblical prophets sometimes predicted the future, but biblical prophets always declared, thus saith the Lord, which is like the old King James Version way of saying, God has something to say, so listen up. Here's what God has to say. This is the job of the biblical prophet. The job of the biblical prophet is to hear from God and then deliver that message to God's people. And the job of God's people is to hear the word of God through the prophet and to respond in obedience. And this is what Isaiah is doing here. We're going to read Isaiah 58, and you're not going to see some big prophecy, some sort of future telling, some sort of thing that's going to happen in the future. What you're going to see is God has a message, and he is using Isaiah to declare it to his people, and he is supposed to declare, thus saith the Lord. This is what God has to say. It is not dissimilar to what we do here on Thursday nights. But like the word of God has been spoken and our job is to get up here and say, thus saith the Lord. Like this is what God has to say. And what is the purpose of these biblical prophets? Like what is God trying to do? Like listen, God used the prophets to, to, to disrupt the spiritual status quo of his people. And the spiritual status quo is what I want to talk to you about tonight. 
Because I think all of us have a spiritual status quo. All of us have just sort of a place we've gotten to spiritually. I'll even speak to you if you're here or listening online tonight, and you're not even sure you believe in Jesus. You've just kind of fallen into the status quo where you just kind of have some beliefs about God, but you're not really pursuing it. You're not really leaning in on it. And here's what I need you to know. All of us have a spiritual status quo, whether you're still pursuing and figuring out what you believe about Jesus or or whether you have been a Christian your entire life and you're following after him. You've fallen into this rut, this rut of how you attend church and how you pray and how you read your Bible and how you've just kind of fallen into this place. I think all of us, if we were just honest, would confess there are areas of sin in our life that we have just stopped making war on, we have made peace with. And here's the job of the biblical prophet. It is to stand in front of the people of God and to declare the word of God, to say, thus saith the Lord, to disrupt the spiritual status quo. And that's what I hope happens for some of you tonight. Uh, Like legitimately, I just think God brought you here tonight for some of you so that your whole status quo, your whole synthesis, this whole thing you've got going where you kind of love these things of the world and you kind of love God might be disrupted tonight by the word of God specifically here in Isaiah 58. This is the mission of Isaiah, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to disrupt the spiritual status quo. It goes on in verse two. It says, for day and night, they, that's the people of God in the kingdom of Judah, and that's those of us here. For day and night, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the command of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Do you see what's being disrupted here? Uh, Like there's this very clear message where they seem eager to know my ways as if they really cared about being a nation who does what's right. They seem eager for God. They seem eager. They seem religious. They seem like they have all this stuff together. But the truth is they are far from God and far from the things that God is describing. Like here's the truth about the people that God is describing in this exact text. They are the type of people who understand they're supposed to be passionate about the following things. They understand they're supposed to be passionate about knowing God's ways, about doing what is right, about obeying God's commandments and being in God's presence. Like they all understand they are supposed to be passionate about these things. They all understand that that's what they're supposed to be doing But the truth of the matter is they are pretending. They're faking it. They've got everyone fooled. That the person who comes in here on Thursday nights and raises their hands and takes note in their Bibles, and they don't have like a digital Bible. They have a physical Bible because they're better than you. And they don't just have like a one size thing. They have like a big physical Bible because the bigger your Bible, the more holy you are. That's like a rule in church. And they are like, got everyone fooled. And then like tomorrow night, Friday night, they will live as if they are no different than anyone else in the world. And here is what God is describing. Like there is a certain type of person who says they are pursuing these things and yet their heart is far from these things. They've got everyone fooled. You know what my biggest fear is? My biggest fear is that there are some of you in this room who have got everyone fooled. You got everyone tricked. Everyone thinks you've got holiness going on. Everyone thinks you've got these things. Everyone thinks you know God's ways and do what's right and obey God's commandment. And everything, if you looked at your Instagram, if you looked at your life, if I peered in from the outside, I would be totally fooled. But you are not walking in these things. And here's what the Bible is gonna use to describe these things. Whether it's knowing God's ways or doing what's right or obeying God's commandments or being in God's presence, the Bible is going to use a singular word to describe these realities. The word the Bible is going to use is the word holiness. Holiness. This is what these people are faking. They're faking holiness. 
And I want to talk to you about holiness tonight. I want to talk to you about what holiness is. I want to help you understand that this is a reality of doing what is right and walking in obedience and forsaking your sin and forsaking the gross, terrible things of this world and turning from that and turning to God. I want you to understand about holiness tonight because holiness is something we should be pursuing. See, here's what I want to say tonight. Holiness is not an old-fashioned, outdated thing. Holiness is not something for like your grandma to talk about. Holiness wasn't something you see in like ancient paintings with saints with little halos around their head. Holiness is not some old-fashioned, outdated thing. Uh, Like, listen, I need to tell you, holiness is not some fundamentalist thing. Holiness is not something that they talk about in certain parts of the country or in certain churches or in certain churches that are more conservative or certain churches that are more like anti the world. Holiness is not some outdated, outmoded, fundamentalist thing. I need to be clear with everyone in the room tonight. Holiness is a Bible thing. It's a Bible thing. And if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, if you are going to be passionate about walking after Jesus, holiness has got to become part of your vocabulary. It's got to become something you are passionate about. What does the Bible say? It says, be holy because I am holy. Just as I am holy, be holy. So what does holiness mean? It means you forsake your sin. It means you ditch the things of this world that you know God has commanded against. To fight for holiness, to struggle for holiness, means that as a Christian, you forsake the things of the world and rather set your eyes on the things of God. And and hear me tonight, I just think for so many Christians, you have been fooled into thinking holiness somehow makes you some weirdo that God's not going to use. And I need you to know this tonight. Holiness is a Bible thing. Holiness is a pursuit of God thing. Holiness is a non-negotiable for a Christian And I want you to hear me on this tonight, that if holiness is not your mission, then Jesus is not your master. If holiness is not your mission, Jesus is not your master. He's not. And and you know what my fear for some of you is? My fear for some of you is you just have no line at all. Like one of the things I've always tried to do as a pastor is not tell you like, this is the line on like what movies you should watch. And so you've never seen me get up here and be like, okay, column A is the movies that are appropriate. It's like Finding Nemo and The Sandlot, sort of, right? And then on the other side, I list all of these other movies that I find really bad and I go, okay, that's better. Like I don't have a line that I can set for all of you. You know what my fear has always been that some of you have no line at all. And there's no movies. You just go, you know what, as a believer, I'm just not gonna watch that. As a believer, I'm just not going to watch that TV show. You know what my fear is? For some of you, if I were to scroll through your phone and your Spotify playlist, that there would be some music that is just horrifying for any believer to have on their phone. And I'm calling you on this because this is a holiness issue. And if you think you can listen to music that is filled with vulgarities, that is filled with racial words that have nothing to do with your life or your following of Jesus, if you think you can listen to music and it does not matter what goes into your ears, you have missed holiness. And I'm pleading with you tonight to forsake those things. I'm not trying to tell you here's your line. I'm trying to tell you you'd better have one. And if you don't have a line, there is something wrong with your discipleship. Tonight, I want to call you toward this, that if holiness isn't your mission, Jesus isn't your master. Like the words that come out of your mouth, the amount of alcohol you consume, what substances you put into your body, the way you interact with your girlfriend or with your boyfriend, the way you talk to one another, the way you treat women, the way you treat your boss, the way you cheat on your taxes, the way you steal money, the way you do all of that, it is a holiness issue. And hear me, that God has rescued you, he has redeemed you, he has saved you, he has made you right in his eyes. And yet what the scriptures tell us is that from the moment that happens, we are called to be made more and more and more like the son until the day we go to be with him. 
And so hear me, sanctification, you becoming holy, is not some like works-based, you try to earn God's love. God loves you already. Like remember, the cross of Jesus is God loves you no matter what you've done. And at the same time, I just think for some of you, holiness has become something you've just chucked out the window. And tonight, I just want to call you back to make holiness part of your vocabulary. Because if holiness isn't your mission, then Jesus isn't your master. You you cannot say Jesus is Lord, he is king, he is sovereign, he's in charge of my life, and yet I'm just not going to let him dictate any of my behavior. Tonight I want to call you toward that, and tonight I want to call you toward that with no intention of me being like the one who gets into your business and figures out what you need to do or not do. I just want you to wrestle with the Holy Ghost tonight. That's what I want you to do. Like, I just think God brought you here so you could do some business in your heart tonight. Because this is what the people of God were faking. They had everyone fooled. They came into worship services and church services and had everyone fooled into thinking that they had it all together. Uh, And yet inside, their life was just like filled with wickedness. It was rotting on the inside. And that's what I want for exactly no one here. It goes on this way in verse 3. It says, why? This is the people of God now declaring. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed Here's what the people of God are saying. Like we fasted. God, I do in the 21-day fast. What's the deal? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you responding to me, God? I humbled myself. God, I've been on my knees praying. God, I showed up at church. I've been showing up at church for years now. And God, you're not even listening to me. I read my Bible all the time. I pray. I may have a bad playlist, but I have a worship jam playlist that I play on Thursday nights on my way in. Like, God, what's the deal? You're not listening to me. And here's what's being described here. Like there is this fasting, there is this humbling, uh, uh, and yet God is not responding to it. And again, this is where I just want you having your Bibles open tonight because I don't want you making this mistake at all to think that this is some sort of like laying some kind of guilt upon you that God doesn't lay upon you. But here's what I want to identify to you tonight, that it is possible to fast in a way that is displeasing to God and spiritually destructive to yourself. It is possible for you to participate in this 21 days of fasting in a way that is spiritually displeasing to God and destructive to yourself. Like if you have come to the place where you think you can just kind of live your life, not care about holiness, not care about Jesus, but then show up and do a bunch of religious activity, if you think you can do that, it is destroying you. Like you need a better hobby. If your hobby is on Thursdays, I come and sing some songs and listen to a guy yell at me, or if it's Brian Williams, it's a gentler yell, and then I leave. Like, if that's your deal, you need a better hobby. Like, like there's a way of doing this that's actually displeasing to God. And so if you're fasting, like if you're participating in the 21 days of fast, if you're here on Thursday nights, if you're reading your Bible, if you're doing all of this, but you're doing it in such a way that you just kind of think, if I go through the religious motions, it doesn't matter what the rest of my life looks like. Man, I just believe you are destroying your own soul. And that's what God is calling out here. In fact, he goes a little further. I want to show it to you in the back half of verse 3. He says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. So here's what happened. Get this. They would do a day of fasting. The whole nation is like, we're all going to fast before God. And God's like, okay, let's see how this fast goes. And you know what they did on their day of fasting? Um, They were really hungry. And because, you know, they weren't eating, they were hungry. And because they were hungry, they didn't have a lot of energy. And anyone who's fasting from anything at all, even if you're just fasting like caffeine, you understand what it's like to be really tired and lethargic. So what did they do? They exploited their workers to get them to do the work that they weren't doing because they were too tired. They're like, yeah, I'm just kind of hungry and tired, so maybe if you people can go do my work, I'll be a little better on that. And then it gets worse. 
It says there's quarreling and strife, which the people who understand the quarreling and strife are the people who are fasting. Because when you are fasting, you get hungry. And when you get hungry, you get hangry. And if you are fasting and you're all fasting and you're all hangry, what does that result in? Quarreling and strife and maybe even striking each other with fists. Like this is what's occurring. Here's what's happening. They're like, yeah, God, we're not eating food. But what we're doing is exploiting the people who work for us and fighting with one another. And and, and here's what God's going. God's just looking God and just going like, what do you think this is earning you? What, you think you're not eating for some amount of time? You think you like giving up meat or giving up alcohol is somehow impressing me? No, like God's looking down on us going, this isn't working at all. This isn't at all what I'm after because here's what you need to know. The evidence of our faith is not a religious activity. Like I need you to know that. There are untold millions of people who go to church every single week all throughout the world who want nothing to do with God. It's just religious activity for them. It's just what they've always done on Sunday morning. It's just what they go through the motions of. Like your religious activity, your singing, your praying, your fasting, your reading your Bible is not evidence of your faith. Like I hate to break this to you, but there are people who show up to church and look like they're worshiping harder than you, but they don't want anything to do with God. They're just there for the show. They're there for some experience. They're not there for that. The evidence of your faith is not your religious activity. Hear me. The evidence of your faith is your relational activity. It's how you treat people. Do you know that it's actually really easy to come into a room and sing a song? Do you know it's actually really easy to do religious activity, to show up at small group and to pray? It's actually even easy to fast. You know what's hard? It's to fast and to pray and to seek the Lord in such a way that when you leave this place and you go to your home and you live with your mother and she's driving you crazy, that instead of snapping at her, you show her grace like Jesus showed you. That's what's harder. You want to know the evidence of your faith is that your roommates didn't do the dishes again or your roommates haven't paid up on time for the rent and your roommates haven't done that thing. It's that one roommate, like you're all good, but there's that one person. And if you're like, there's not a one person, you know who it is, right? Like, like, like that's the deal. It's how you treat your roommates tonight when you go home. It's how you treat your sister who drives you insane. Like religious activity is actually not hard to fake. What is hard to fake is when someone wounds you beyond anything you could have expected and you forgive them anyway. What's not, hard to, what's not hard to fake is you coming to a worship service. What is hard to fake is that someone is in need and in desperate need and you drop everything and you go serve them. Like your religious activity is not evidence of your faith, your relational activity. God's going, listen, if you're going to be the type of person who's going to fast and hold your hands up in worship and pray and read your Bible, but then go treat people like garbage the rest of the week, he goes, that's, not, that's meaningless to me. Like, here's the old phrase, and it, it kind of doesn't work for us because we meet on Thursday, but the old phrase is this, that Monday's work proves Sunday's worship. That, that, that's what happens. Like, like, Friday morning, you're going to wake up tomorrow. You'll do Friday night and Saturday night. Like, what happens this weekend will prove whether this is genuine or not. And, and listen, I'm not bashing this. Uh, like, you singing, you raising your hands in worship, you reading your Bible, these are all good things. It, it's just if it's the only thing and it doesn't play out anywhere else in your life, It means that Monday's work or Friday's work is not proving Thursday's worship. And what I want to tell you tonight, what I want to push you toward in this text, is this fierce devotion that God seems to have that the people of God would not just show up and do religious activity, but rather that it would impact the way they live the rest of their life. It goes on this way. These are the words of God still. It says, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. I know of only a few places in the Bible where it tells you your prayers won't be heard by God. Um, one place in the Bible is in the book of 1 Peter, and this is for men only, okay? Men, if you get married someday, it says if you're not gentle with your wife, your prayers will be hindered. 
Like, I just wanna lay that upon you. If you expect to get married someday, men, like if I am not gentle with my wife, Danny, my prayers will be hindered. And there's only a few places in the scripture it's going to say your prayers won't be heard. And this is one of the other ones. When you fast with this kind of, I'll do something religious to look religious to anyone, but it doesn't really impact the way I treat people or live or my holiness or anything. When you fast in that kind of way, you cannot expect your voice to be heard on high. And I think some of you have been praying and seeking the Lord and seeking out answers and seeking out what you should do next and where you should go to school and where you should work and who you should marry, and you're not hearing from God. And I don't want to lay this upon everyone. I just do want to lay this upon some people. I think for some of you, you might just need to memorize this verse this week, that you cannot expect to live your life in the way you're living and have your voice be heard on high. You just cannot expect that. And the call for us is toward repentance tonight. And then he goes on this way. Isaiah is continuing to declare God's word, verse five. It says, this is the kind of fast I have chosen. Only a day for people to humble themselves. Like, like, like this is not the kind of fast. Like the, the, the fast isn't just like humble yourself, don't eat for a little bit. No, no, it's this. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? And, and the answer is no, right? Is this what I've called for a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not, verse six, the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cord of yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor and wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? In other words, God's going to say, listen, if you're the type of person who just kind of shows up at church and does the worship thing and puts like Jesus in your Instagram bio, or if you're more subtle, you put like some verse that no one knows the reference, like something like that, like it's just not going to work. God's just not going to hear you. If you think you can just kind of live this life where you've got everyone fooled, you don't have God fooled. And then what does God say? What's the kind of fast God wants? What's the expectation he has on your life? It is that this religious activity, showing up to church and reading your Bible and praying and humbling yourself would lead to something. And what's he describing here? He describes this litany of things we would have to do. He's going to begin by saying, loose the chains of injustice, set the oppressed free, feed the hungry, serve the homeless, provide for the poor. Like this is the description of the type of life that should be, that should be known for the people of God. And in the Bible, there's a word that describes this. In the Bible, there's a word that describes all of these things. When all of these things are done, when the hungry are fed, when the naked are clothed, when the homeless are served, when, when injustice is delivered, when, when those things are dealt with, the word the Bible uses is this word, justice. Justice. Justice is this word found all over the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. This idea that God is a God of justice is in the scriptures. Let me be clear tonight. Justice is not a political thing. For some of you, your entire life is politics first, everything else second. And so I say justice, and you immediately snap to all of the buzzwords that are in our culture right now. I need you to know I don't have any necessary objection to talking about like economic justice or racial justice or environmental justice. I just want you to know the Bible just uses this one word, justice. It's not a political thing. It's not attached to a party. It's not attached to a movement. It's not attached to some philosophy that the world has. Justice is something that God is using all throughout the scriptures. Listen, justice is not a political thing. And then let me speak to just some of you in the room, not all of you. Listen, justice is not a liberal thing. I'm just gonna just be honest with some of you right now. Um, some of you need to hear this, others you don't. If you are anything like me, I'm, I'm gonna describe myself real quick. Um, I grew up in a conservative environment. 
Um, all, all my life, I, I've been in a conservative environment. In fact, most people would probably describe me in that way. And, and, and here's the danger if you're anything like me. And I know not all of you would call yourself that, and some of you would be like, not me. Right, fine, this isn't for you. But, but if you do call yourself that, I, I want you to listen clearly. Um, one of the great mistakes and errors of my life was that growing up in a conservative environment, I would hear the word justice being spoken primarily by people on the other side of the aisle, right? By liberals. And so I would think, I'm not one of them, and so I'm not for that word. And I would throw the baby out with the bathwater. I would throw out this beautiful, biblical, righteous idea of justice because there were some people who I disagreed with politically who used the word more than me, and that was a failure on my behalf. A failure. And when I study the Bible, when I read the word of God, I find that justice is not a political thing. It is not a liberal thing. Hear me clearly tonight. Justice is a Bible thing. It's a Bible thing. And if you want to follow Jesus, you cannot ignore justice. You can't ignore that this is a serious thing. You cannot throw that out. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, because there's some people who use the word justice in a way I don't like, therefore I'm not going to use it. Justice is a biblical thing. And when God talks about justice, what God means is that the world operating in the right way, the world operating as it should Justice is not defined by anything else other than God's holy standard for how human beings should treat one another in light of the fact that we are created in the image of God. That's what justice is. And so when God looks down from heaven and sees that there are poor people who do not have the basic necessities of life, he declares injustice. This is injustice. And we, as the people of God, are called to care about that, to think about that, to pray about that, to work toward that. When God looks down from heaven and sees that there are people in this world who have gone to bed hungry already tonight and they do not have food, God looks down from heaven and says, injustice, injustice. The fact that there are people who are homeless, the fact that there are people who are hungry, the fact that there are people who do not have clothes, he looks down and says, this is injustice. God looks at the stickiest and trickiest issues of our culture and declares that there is injustice. When women are battered, when women are harmed, when women are marginalized, he says, this is injustice. Hear me, he looks down at children in the womb who are discarded for nothing and says this is injustice. He looks down at women who are caught in sex trafficking by the millions and says this is injustice. To care about God is to care about justice. And you cannot dismiss that. You cannot choose that you're not going to care about justice and hear me on this because I listed off a bunch of things and some of you are like, yes, 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 no, no, yes. You you, You kind of did that game. To care about God is to care about justice, and to care about justice is to care about every single individual created in the image of God. And and so that any time God looks down from heaven and sees some individual not treated right because of the color of their skin, because of their gender, because of their age, because of anything in their life or in their station, God looks down and says this is injustice. And, And we as believers have to care about that. Because hear me on this, ignoring justice shows contempt for God's image bearers and shows contempt for God. Like when you do not care about justice, what you have done is you have said, I have contempt for this individual who was created in God's image. Like I need you to know the thing about being created in the image of God is that's the whole reason we care about justice. Do do you realize how little time you spend thinking about like like inequalities among the fish population? Like, you haven't spent a bunch of time being like, yeah, those, those salmon, they're really running the show here. Like, you don't, it doesn't bother you. 
You, you don't spend a ton of time like wondering about the family structures in the bird population, right? Like that doesn't bother you, right? Why doesn't it bother you? They're living, breathing beings. They're, they, they have blood. They have, they have breath in their lungs. Like why doesn't it bother you that that's going on? The reason it doesn't bother you is because they're not created in God's image. But you are. And so has every other human who has ever been created, who has ever walked this earth, who has ever graced this planet. They are created in God's image. And for you to not care about someone created in the image of God shows contempt for God. This is justice. It is something that is non-negotiable for the Christian. It is non-negotiable for you. If you want your prayers to be heard on high, and if you want to be someone who follows after Jesus. So hear me tonight. God is laying down this challenge before his people through the prophet Isaiah. And I have talked about two significant things that you ignore to your peril. Here's what I need you to know. That when you ignore either justice or holiness, your faith suffers. It suffers. And tonight, I want to call some of you to repentance. I am here for one reason, and that's to call some of you to repentance tonight. There are some of you in this room, some of you listening online, who gave up on holiness years ago. You've made peace with your sin. You've made peace with your lifestyle. You're okay with the way you talk, with the media you consume, with your boundaries or lack thereof, with your boyfriend or girlfriend. This is just all old news to you. And anytime someone brings it up, you think they're being shaming, you think they're being mean, and you think they're trying to control, and you think that's old-fashioned and something for your parents or grandparents. And I'm here tonight to call you to repentance. Holiness is not optional for you. Uh, Like, it's optional for you if you don't want to follow Jesus. But if you want to follow Jesus, I am calling you to repent tonight, to pursue holiness, to make that part of your vocabulary. Maybe some of you need to go write the word holiness down in your room somewhere to say, if my holiness is not my mission, that Jesus is not my master, I need to turn from my sin and receive Jesus. And listen, repentance is not just you feeling bad for the night. My goal isn't just that you would feel kind of guilty and ashamed tonight, and then you would go home and feel guilty and ashamed as you go to bed, and then wake up tomorrow and just kind of move on with your life. No, repentance is always in the Bible. There's a change of mind. It is the idea that you're going this way, and you plant your foot in the ground, you turn around, and you go a different way. It means you delete things off your phone. It means you have conversations where you say, I'm not doing that anymore. It means you stop responding to text messages from certain people because they always draw you into sin. It means that you make changes. That's what repentance is. I want to call some of you toward that tonight. And then others of you have just utterly ignored justice. And I've just tried to share with you that for many, many years of my life, I just thought that was some other thing for other people. And listen, justice is even an easier one to ignore because holiness, like you know when there's sin in your own life, but justice is sort of the thing that sometimes you don't even realize that you're ignoring the plight of other human beings, but you are. And hear me tonight, this doesn't mean like you have to be involved in every justice issue there could possibly be. Newsflash, you can't. You don't have the bandwidth to care about every single thing every single time. But here's the deal. It's, it's one of those things where like, I'm not going to tell you which issues to be involved with. I'm just going to tell you if you're not involved with any and you don't care about any, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. Because it is sin not to care about the people that God created in his own image. It is sin to show contempt for image bearers of the people of God. And I want to call you toward justice. Like, I want to call you toward that. Like your own faith is suffering because you don't care about the fate of other people. You are suffering. And I want to call you to turn from that tonight. Not to just feel guilty, not to just like go get fired up and post something on your Instagram tonight and then just kind of move on with your life. But again, to plant your foot in the ground and say, I haven't cared. So I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to round people. I'm going to raise my voice. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to donate money. I'm going to care about the homeless and the poor. I'm going to care about racial justice. I'm going to care about something. Because if I don't, my faith is going to suffer. 
I wanna call you toward that repentance tonight because here's what I know, that when you ignore justice or holiness, your faith suffers, but hear me, when the church ignores justice or holiness, the world suffers. The world suffers. And here's my question for you to linger on tonight. Um, and I wanna ask this with trepidation because I think one of the easiest things to do is to rip the church. But I wanna ask you this question. Do you think the church in the United States of America is passionate about either holiness or justice? Because I don't. Like we're passionate about a lot of things and there's a lot of things that we see. There's even good worship music. There's really great Bible teaching. There's all of this. But do you really think the people of God are just like we want to be holy and we want to turn from our sin and we want to humble ourselves and escape addiction and this gross stuff that's in our life? I don't see that all over the church. And then do you think the church in the United States of America is passionate about justice? Like, Do you think we're defined for that? Like, no, I don't think we are. And I think the world, our nation, our culture has suffered for it. And hear me, again, the easiest thing to do in the world is rip the church, be like, the church isn't perfect, like a brilliant observation, right? Like, wow. But, but, but here's the deal. I'm not interested in the people out there. Why am I interested in us? I'm interested in us being a people who are passionate about holiness and passionate about justice and stir one another on to good works. I want us to be that place where people just kind of know that this is a place where they take their holiness seriously and they take justice seriously and they're growing to become more and more and more like that. And here's why I want us to be this because this is how we're gonna end the text tonight. What we're gonna see in the end of the text is that when we do take it seriously, here's what happens in verse eight. It says, then, well, like this is an if-then statement. If you care about holiness and justice, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Hey, is there anyone in this room who doesn't need healing in their soul and in their mind and in their body and their family and their community and their nation and the world? Is there anyone here who doesn't think we need that kind of healing? And that's what God offers us. You care about holiness, you care about justice, your light breaks forth. The church starts to be the church that we were made to be. Our healing appears, not slowly, but it appears quickly. It goes on to tell us your righteousness will go before you. The glory of your, the Lord will be your rear guard. Like what a beautiful image, like righteousness exuding before us, God following after us, completely safe in his hand. And then verse nine, final verse. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Again, I think there's some of you, and I don't want to lay this on everyone in the room, but I think there's some of you who have been trying to call out to God, trying to get his guidance in your life, trying to get him to free you from some kind of addiction or sin or insecurity or issue you're facing. You've been crying out to God and just feeling like he won't answer. And here's what the scriptures say. When you double down on holiness and justice, then you will call and the Lord God of heaven will answer you. And you will cry for help and he will say, here I am. That's what we're called to. That's what we're invited to. That's what we're invited to every single time we wake up in the morning. It's what we're invited to every time we gather as a church. So what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? We're gonna be people who fast and people who pray. We're gonna be people who fast and we're gonna be people who pray. Um, every time fasting is mentioned in the Bible, I want you to understand that fasting is always connected with prayer. Like if it's just like I'm not going to eat food and hopefully things will get better, like that's never been the Bible strategy. It is fast and pray together. We are going to fast and we are going to seek the Lord and we're going to pray. And this final week of this fast, we're going to cry out to God like never before. What are we fasting and praying for? We are fasting and praying for a world where holiness is not just required but also desired. But like you know that's the goal, Right? The goal isn't like, you're not supposed to do bad things and you're like, oh, I know, but they're fun, right? That's not the goal. The goal is that you don't even want to look at pornography. The goal is you don't even want to see that filth on your phone or your TV. 
The goal is that you don't even want those words coming out of your mouth or to cross that boundary. The goal isn't that it's just required. It's that it's desired. It's that you want holiness. You fast and pray so they say, God, I don't want holiness. Maybe that's what some of you need to do this week. You just need to start journaling your prayers and say, God, you know what? Honestly, I don't want holiness, but I want to want holiness. God, make it not just required for my life. Make it something I desire. We want to fast and pray for a world where holiness is not just required, but it's desired. And then finally, we want to fast and pray for a world where injustice isn't just illegal, but it's also unthinkable. That's what we want to pray for. Like, like the ultimate goal isn't just like racist stuff is illegal. Like, that's not the goal. The goal is that it's unthinkable. The goal is that no one, it would never even occur to anyone to enter into a kind of establishment or relationship where racism was prevalent. That's the goal. But the goal isn't just like there's no poor people and things are better. The idea is that it's unthinkable to us that there are people all over our Los Angeles County who are sleeping on the street tonight. It's just unthinkable to us because we've solved it, we've fixed it, we've done something about it. Uh, like, hear me, the goal on all of these justice issues, look, look, hear me, I, and again, I know this will frustrate some of you, the goal on abortion isn't just that it's illegal, it's that it's unthinkable. It's that we've just set up our world in such a way where women are so well taken care of that we don't even have to think about it. It's not even something that occurs to us. We're going to take care of that kid. We're going to come around them. We're going to serve them. We're going to love them. We're going to do that. The goal isn't that just like child trafficking is illegal. The goal is that it's unthinkable because no one would ever think of taking a small child and doing this to them. That's the goal. That's what we're fasting and praying for. And some of you might look at this or this or something I just said and go, yeah, Brian, that's cute, but it's impossible. And you know what? I agree with you. Everything I'm saying here is utterly impossible. But does anyone else in here believe in the God of the impossible? Like, does anyone else in here believe that God wants to do miracles in our time? That God might actually flourish things in our time? That the glory of the Lord would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea? That's what I want. I want to be the type of church, I want to be the type of person who prays for God, not just to do little small things around the edges in our life. I want to pray that God would do a move in our lifetime where we just stand in awe of who he is. That's the invitation. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Our band's going to make their way up. We're we're going to sing a few songs in closing. And here's the invitation for you. It is to begin this kind of passionate crying out to God where you go, God, I just need you to show up because it is impossible to me to walk in holiness unless you give me that desire. God, I want you to show up because I think it is impossible that injustice of the kind I am passionate about would disappear from this earth unless you stepped in. Like, I want us to be that type of church that cries out to God, but then hear me, that leaves this place tonight with a passion for holiness and a passion for justice so that God will hear our voice on high and he will declare to you, the Lord Almighty, here I am. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I want to be the first to confess in this room the places I've failed in holiness the places I've fallen short of your holy standards, the things I've watched or said or done, the ways I've conducted myself that are not filled with holiness. And God, I want to publicly repent of those things. God, God, I want to confess the ways I've not cared about justice. I want to to confess the ways that I've lived in my privileged little cocoon here where we don't see the pain and suffering of the world. And I've just thought it's not my business and it's not my thing. God, I just confess my sin. God, would you make me the type of person who cares about those things, who's passionate about holiness and justice? Would you make us the type of church? 
God, my prayer is not for some other church down the road or down the nation or across the world. My prayer is for this place here at Calvary Community Church, that even the young people here, we might lead the way in holiness and justice, that we might be forever known as that kind of church, and that you might hear our prayers from heaven and change this world. God, we are not asking here. We are not begging you to do things around the edges. We are pleading. We are fasting. We are praying that you would do a miracle in our time that no one could have expected and no one could have believed for and no one could have even imagined what have happened in this world. God, would you make it known? Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us as we worship? Stir our hearts for these things. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said real loud. Amen. Amen.